take your Bible this morning, please, and open to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Very last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 1. John MacArthur, a well-known pastor and Bible teacher and author and Bible radio host, once shared a story of a man who was boasting about his intimacy with Jesus Christ. And this man said, Jesus and I are good friends. Sometimes when I am shaving, he comes in the bathroom with me. And John MacArthur said, literally? Oh, yes, he comes in his body. John MacArthur asked this gentleman, what does he do? The man replied, he puts his arm around my shoulder while I'm shaving. John said, is that right? What do you do then? The man said, I just keep on shaving. And John MacArthur looked at that man and said, then that's not Jesus. And I want to submit to you today that MacArthur is right. That is not Jesus. If Jesus Christ walked literally, physically and bodily in that man's bathroom, that man would not just keep on shaving. If Jesus were to literally, bodily, physically, visibly walk into this church at this moment, you and I would not run up and shake his hand as if he were a long lost friend. We would fall flat on our faces as dead men and dead women. And some might say, well, I don't know if that's right. How do you know that, preacher? Well, I want to share with you a passage this morning, and I want you to look at it with me. It begins there in Revelation chapter 1, beginning at verse 9. And these are the words we're going to read today. Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in the book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus and to Smyrna, unto Pergamos and unto Thyatira and unto Sardis and unto Philadelphia and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like a defined brass, as if they burned to the furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the, as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, 
and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. I want to submit to you, first of all, this morning, an awesome sight, an awesome sight. John, banished on the Isle of Patmos, was in, was in the spirit of the Lord's day. And he hears behind him a voice, a great voice like a trumpet. It was loud. It was commanding. And when he turns to see where that voice was coming from, he saw an awesome sight. He saw seven golden candlesticks or lampstands. And in the middle of them, he saw the Son of Man. He saw the Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes here in Revelation 1 to describe what he saw. Now remember, he faced a great difficulty because he had to use human language to describe what Jesus looked like. You'll notice in the description as we go through today, words like like and as. And I want to consider the description of the Lord Jesus here. I want to notice several things. Notice, first of all, his dress, how he was attired. It says back in verse 13, it says, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the son of man. Notice this clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. He wore a long garment, a long robe that went down to the feet. And a golden girdle about his paps. Your version might say it this way. A golden sash around his chest. Or girded about the chest with a golden band. One wrote that this was the robe of the prophets, of priests, and of kings and princes. The robe symbolizes the prophetic, the priestly, and the kingly ministry of Jesus Christ. As prophet, Jesus proclaims the word of God to us. As priest, Jesus gives us access to the presence of God to make us acceptable to God. And as king, Jesus Christ rules and reigns over the affairs of the universe. And he protects and provides and works all things out for good to those who love and follow him. Another, another saying here in Revelation 1.13, Christ is seen dressed in the type of robe worn by both a priest and and a judge. But the position of the girdle about the breast rather than the waist indicates that Christ in this passage, listen, is exercising a judicial rather than a priestly role. A priest would be girded about the waist signifying service, but a girdle placed about the shoulders or breast indicates a magisterial function, a judging function. We see him robed in a long robe, the robe of the priest, the prophet and the king, but serving in a judicial sense here. Notice his head, and his hair. Look at verse 14. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. This reminds us that Christ is the ancient of days. In Daniel 7, 9, we read these words. I beheld to the thrones were cast down and the ancient of days did sit whose garment was white as snow and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame and his wheels as a burning fire. We see this as a picture of the ancient of days, but also this Hair that is white like wool and white as snow also reminds us that Jesus Christ reminds us of his purity. It reminds us of his holiness. It reminds us of his sinlessness. It reminds us that he is indeed the holy God. We see his dress. We see his hair. We see his hair. Notice next his eyes. Verse 14 says his eyes were as a flame of fire, as a flaming fire. The idea here, no doubt, 
is that his eyes are penetrating and piercing. There is nothing hidden from the gaze of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4.13 says, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. I want you to understand that today he sees all he knows all there's nothing hidden from him. It's interesting even to compare this to a passage that talks about the judgment seat of Christ. Because he had eyes as a flaming fire. Listen to 1 Corinthians 3.13. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. His eyes were as flaming fire. Notice next his feet, verse 15. And his feet like unto the fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. His feet. Like fine brass burned in the furnace, purified the idea of strength and judgment. I understand MacArthur said kings in ancient times sat on elevated thrones. So those being judged would always be beneath the king's feet. The feet of a king thus came to symbolize his authority. The red hot glowing feet of the Lord Jesus Christ picture him moving through his church to exercise his chastening authority, ready to deal out remedial pain, if need be, to sinning Christians. His feet representing judgment and authority and strength. Notice his voice. Verse 15 says his voice as the sound of many waters. I like what Ryrie said, like the noise of a mighty waterfall. His voice of authority stands out above all the rest and drowns out all who try to talk back or offer excuses. His voice. So we continue considering the Lord Jesus. Notice next his right hand. It says, and he had in his right hand seven stars. The right hand, of course, is the place of honor. And in that right hand, he holds the seven stars. The seven stars. Verse 20 says, the mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. So I understand that he holds the angels of the seven churches. And depending upon your interpretation, because the word angel there is the idea of messenger, it could mean and some believe it means an angelic being. Others see it simply as the messenger to those churches or the pastors of these churches. Whichever interpretation you hold to realize this, he holds them in his right hand. He is in control. Never forget, beloved, this is his church. It's his church. I know we talk about this is my church and come to my church. I understand that and I understand that's fine. But never forget. This is his church. We're his people doing his work for his honor and his glory. He holds the seven angels, the messengers in his right hand. Notice his mouth. Out of his mouth when a sharp two edged sword. Now, does that literally mean that? John saw a sword protruding from the mouth of Jesus. I don't think so. This is the authoritative word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says it this way. For the word of God is quick and powerful 
and sharper than any two edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And then notice finally this morning, beloved, his countenance there in verse 16, his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. His countenance was full sun. It was dazzling. It was blinding. You know, this morning at the sunrise service, the sunrise was to my back. While we were singing at one point, I turned and just glanced at it. Turn away quickly. Why? Because you cannot look fully into the sun. But this says it was as full sun. Dazzling, bright. Let me ask you. If this Jesus, the Lord Jesus, the true Messiah, the King of glory, were to walk in that man's bathroom while he was shaving, do you think for one moment he would just keep on shaving? I say absolutely not. And if he walked in here this morning in bodily form, we would all hit the floor as dead men and dead women. Now, I want you to notice something what verse 17 says. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Now, who is the eye there? When I saw him, well, we know this is John. This is John. Now, think about who's writing this. Think about who John is. He's the one Jesus loved. He's one who walked with Jesus. He's one who talked with Jesus. He's the one that even reclined on the breast of Jesus at the Lord last supper. But he does not get up and greet him like he would an old buddy from high school. No, sir. He falls down as a dead man. He is literally overwhelmed at the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me for a moment, friend. Jesus is not your buddy. Hear me well. He is not your buddy. I pray he is your savior. I pray he is your Lord, but he is not your buddy. He is the Lord God. We are too casual and too familiar with Jesus today. He is the Lord of glory, and yet some treat him as if he's an old pal from high school. John, the beloved one, fell down to his feet as dead. I know this may seem strange to you. Say, well, you know, people sing about that Jesus is their buddy. And yes, but you know what, beloved? We see here a true picture of the resurrected Lord Jesus. Do you remember the Apostle Paul when he met the Lord Jesus? Turn back and read there very quickly. You know, he was called Saul back then. You can go to Acts chapter 9. We'll read this together. I want you to see how Saul, who became Paul, the great apostle, the great missionary, what his response was to the resurrected Jesus. Acts chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. It says this, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus of the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, the following Jesus, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. He was on a mission to stamp out the way, the Lord Jesus, the followers of Christ. Verse 3. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him, what? A light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. 
And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Now notice verse 7. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no man. And Saul, look at verse 8. Saul arose from the earth, and his eyes were opened, and he saw no man. Literally blinded. He saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight. And neither did eat nor drink. Now I know. After his resurrection and before his ascension back to heaven, we've seen in our study that people saw him and people touched him. We've studied that the last couple of weeks. We saw Jesus and a weeping woman, Mary Magdalene. We saw Jesus and a doubting disciple. We saw his interaction with Thomas. But notice that things are different now. We need to make sure that we're not too familiar, too casual, too comfortable with the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to have a reverence and a proper fear of him. He is holy. He is righteous. He is God. He's not our pal and our buddy. If he were to walk in today, we would fall as dead men and women. John saw an awesome sight. But I want you to notice second today, an awesome saying. He heard an awesome saying. Look at verse 17 again in Revelation 1. I love this, beloved. Look at verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he, that is Jesus, laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Jesus does not leave John down. He reached out his right hand and touched John. It was a touch of comfort. It was a touch of encouragement. And as he did, he said these words. Fear not. Stop fearing. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. Why did he say these words, beloved? How could he say these words? Notice three things. Don't fear. Why? Because I am the eternal God. Notice what he says there. Fear not. I am the first and the last. Back up to verse number eight. He says there, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saying the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Look at verse 11, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What does he mean there when he says, I am the first and the last? Well, consider the first two words. I am. Reminds us of what was written back in Exodus chapter 3. Exodus 3, 13 and 14 says, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? Listen to what verse 14 says. And God said to Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say to the children of Israel, I am have sent me unto you. What's Jesus saying? Fear not, John. Why? I am God. I'm the first. I'm the last. I'm the eternal God. Before the creation of the world, I am. Before anything was that we know of, I am. I like the way one preacher put it. There never has been and never will be a time when he did not, does not, or will not exist. Too fast? Let's slow it down. There never has been 
and never will be a time when he did not, does not or will not exist. He is eternal. Think back as far as you can this morning. And there you'll find God and way beyond that eternal. This will blow your mind. Don't try to grasp it. You can't grasp it. We can't grasp this. We'll grasp this. We're finite. He's infinite. This is one reason that he's not our old buddy. He's the eternal God. That's a good reason why I could say to John, don't fear. <laughs> don't fear. I am the eternal God. But notice, secondly, why I didn't have to fear. He says, don't fear. I'm the resurrected Savior. Look at verse 18. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. Jesus who had no beginning and no ending. He's the eternal God. He did at one point step in to listen. Now, he did step into human flesh in his incarnation. We celebrate that holiday is known as what? Christmas. Born as a babe of a virgin. He lived as a man among men. The God man. Still God. But God in the flesh. Emmanuel. God with us. He lived a sinless Perfect life, and he voluntarily laid down his life on the cross. We thought about that a couple of days ago, right? Good Friday. But he rose again, what we celebrate today, Easter, and he's alive forevermore. Notice what he says I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. Unlike Lazarus, you know, the Lord Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but eventually Lazarus died again. But Christ arose and is alive forevermore. Fear not, John. Don't fear. I am the resurrected Savior. I'm the one who died, but is alive forevermore. And notice, I love this. Jesus adds his own amen to that statement. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. I'm he that was liveth and is dead, but now I live again forevermore. Amen. The resurrection, beloved, is not optional. It is essential. Without the resurrection, our whole Christian faith is in vain. Your being here today is in vain. <laughs> the life you're living is in vain. The faith you have is in vain if Jesus is still dead in that tomb. But we know what? He arose again. He says, John, don't fear. I'm the eternal God. I'm the resurrected Savior. Thirdly, I am the victorious conqueror. Look at verse 18 again. The last part of that verse says, And have the keys of hell and of death. I am the victorious conqueror. First Corinthians 15 says it this way. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought the past the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I am the victorious conqueror. I have the key, the authority, the power over death and hell and the grave right now. Why? Because I'm alive forevermore. I was dead, but now I live. Don't fear, John. I am the eternal God. I am the resurrected Savior. I am the victorious conqueror. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. Praises to the Lamb of God. He's alive today. And some of you look like you're half dead in here. I know it's early, but beloved, wake up and realize what Jesus is saying. Fear not. I'm alive. An amazing sight. 
An amazing saying, but thirdly this morning, an amazing Savior. I want to talk to you personally for a moment, friend. I want to tell you about an amazing Savior. My Savior, my Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. I love those words he spoke. He said to John, fear not. Fear not. We live in a world filled with fear. Whether it's the fear of failure or the fear of pain. The fear of the future. Afraid someone will hurt us or harm us. We live in a world that's filled with fear over a terrorist attack or war. The fear of cancer. The fear of sickness. The fear of disease. There's the fear of what comes after this life. The fear of death itself. And I want you to hear me well this morning, beloved. Without Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you ought to be fearful. Let me say that again. Without the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you ought to be fearful. You have every right in the world to be afraid. I'll be honest with you. I don't know how you function in this world and in your life without Jesus Christ. You rightfully fear today and you rightfully fear tomorrow. You fear the death. You fear the grave. Without the Lord. I'm not afraid of those things. Now don't misunderstand. I don't relish those things. I don't want to be hurt. I don't want to be harmed and those such things. But I don't have to fear them. I don't have to fear death. Why? Because I know who holds tomorrow. And I know who holds my hand. I don't have to fear life. Why? Because he lives. I don't have to fear death. Why? Because he lives. I don't have to fear the future. Why? Because he's already there. He's the eternal God, the resurrected Savior, the victorious conqueror. And I love and reverentially fear him and serve him and love him. But not those things. Why? Because many years ago, I recognized that I was a lost sinner. That I was destined for hell. That I needed a savior. And I placed my faith and my trust in his finished work to redeem me, to save me, to make me a child of God. And now, beloved, I have peace. Peace. Those who truly know Christ as Savior, you know what I'm talking about this morning. There is a peace. I want to ask you, do you have that peace today, friend? Yes, I'm talking to you. Do you have that peace? Well, I'm a church member. I didn't ask you that. You can be a church member. You can be a deacon. You can be a Sunday school teacher. You can be a choir member. You can do all those things and die and go to a devil's hell. Why? Because those things don't save you. Jesus Christ alone saves. Only Jesus saves. My message for you on this Easter Sunday morning is you're a sinner. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You're headed for a Christless eternity in hell. You cannot save yourself. You can't work your way. You can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You are lost and doomed forever. But Jesus died in your place. 
Jesus shed his blood for you on that cross. Jesus arose victorious for you. And you need today to repent of your sin and place your faith totally and completely in his finished work to save you. That, beloved, is the gospel. That, beloved, is the good news. You may have come in here today filled with fear and just unimaginable fear, hardly able to function. You can leave this place today with a peace, a peace that passes all understanding, knowing that Jesus is your savior. Heaven is your home. Your future's bright. Heaven, a glorious place with the king of kings. And Lord of Lords, here's what we're going to do today as we close this service. I'm going to pray very briefly. Then we're going to stand and sing a Easter hymn. And as we sing today, if you don't know Jesus, I want you to step out and come and meet me at the front. We'd love to share the Lord with you today. I realize and I recognize and know from personal experience and testimony You might be a member of this church, but you're lost. Never truly born again. Don't let pride stand in your way, friend. Today, if you need Jesus and he's working on your heart, you come. You may be here for the very first time. You may have attended here all your life. But if you don't have that peace I'm talking about today, when we begin singing this resurrection song, you step out. And today you meet Jesus, the living Lord. And leave her saying, I am alive because I trusted in him. Let's pray.